If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. By the way, this is up here because we're having vacation Bible school this week. It's not a new prop for the Proverbs series. I could try to incorporate it in there somehow. We'll see. Um, but we have VBS going on all this week, and uh, rather than everybody scurrying around and setting up everything tonight, all afternoon, uh, uh, they set things up this week, and um, it's actually really fun. Uh, most festive background I've ever had preaching. So Proverbs 1 is right there in the middle of your Bible. I'm going to read the first seven verses. We'll read some more scripture later. Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing, and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying the words of the wise and their riddles the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction this is the word of the lord you will pray with me father your word says in james that for those who lack wisdom we should ask and you give it And so we ask this summer as we look through your book of Proverbs that you would speak to us your wisdom. Thank you that you have written these things down for our instructions. And I pray that we will listen intently to you as you speak. Thank you for the way that these point to Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. And ultimately, he is the one we want to know more. So, Father, in this moment, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. Lord, may your words remain, and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So all throughout history, you'll find different cultures having collections of uh, wise sayings. Uh, we certainly have it in our time. I even came across the wise sayings of Oprah. Um, if you have a lot of time on your hands, or if you're just preparing a sermon on Proverbs and would like to uh, peruse through those. Uh, but I'm going to read you a, a, some proverbs, some wise sayings that uh, they're not in the Bible, but I want you to just be thinking, guessing what they all actually have in common. God helps those who help themselves. All you need is faith and trust. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. It is not what is on the outside, but what is on the inside that counts. Anyone yet? Uh, Just because it's what's done doesn't mean it's what should be done. The colder the winter, the warmer the spring. The deeper the sorrow, the more the heart sings. Everything is possible, even the impossible. If you don't know where you want to go, it doesn't matter what path you take. Anyone yet? All right, certainly you'll get it after this. Sorry. The problem is not the problem. 
The problem is your attitude about the problem. No one? All right. Some people are worth melting for. All of those were quotes from Disney. That is wisdom according to the world of Disney. Uh, I actually was going to kind of do a guess which one's from the Bible and which isn't, but I didn't want to embarrass you all. Uh, Disney actually has some pretty good wise quotes, uh, followed by some pretty atrocious ones as well. Uh, you know, I love Mulan's, the, the flower that blooms in adversity is the most rare and beautiful of all. Uh, great quote. Uh, but for every one of those, there are 10, just follow your hearts or just do what seems best. So how do you know what's actually wise? And how do you know what is foolish? If only God, like, had given us a book <laughs> to maybe help us sort through it all, maybe giving us some wisdom that has stood the test of time, maybe 3,000 years of time. Well, thankfully, we do have preserved for us such a book, and it's smack dab right in the middle of your Bible. There's actually three books of wisdom. We call it the wisdom literature. You have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And together, they're, they're the wisdom literature of the Bible. And they really, you need to read all of these. Sometimes they're in tension with one another because they speak to us at different seasons of life. And, and you're going to find no other books like these outside of the Bible that really speak to the complexities of life like Proverbs does. These books are different than all the other books you have in your Bible. Uh, we talk a lot at Redeemer about the, the story of Scripture, you know, the overarching story of there's creation, there's fall, and there's redemption, and how all of the books of the Bible are speaking into these things, developing these plot lines, and I should say all except for these. These just kind of seem to be plopped in the middle of the story of your Bible without any real connection. Uh, there is no mention of Abraham, the covenant, Moses, no mention of Mount Sinai. There are no priests. There are no sacrifices. There are no prophets or prophecies. There's no talk of the Messiah or our need for one. Uh, those, the, the book of Proverbs doesn't develop on any of those major themes of the Bible. Now, of course, the author of all the wisdom books, they believe those things, and they are going to assume that those of us reading believe those things, but they don't develop those things. And the reason they don't is because they have a different agenda altogether than the rest of the Bible. These books are going to answer the personal questions that you have as you read the rest of the Bible. So they're not trying to answer questions like, who is the Messiah? How is he going to come? What is redemption going to look like? Instead, they are asking questions like this. How should I raise a family? What does disciplining a child look like? What kind of career am I supposed to pursue? When my neighbor's being a jerk, what do I tell them? Or should I go and speak to them and say anything? How can I make enough money to live off of? Is there something I could do to be making more money? What exactly is God going to do for me if I do obey him? I'm not talking about generally. I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm not talking about all those other things. Is he going to do something specifically, tangible in my life now, if I obey him? 
Or you might have the question, I've, I've always tried to do the right thing. But why is it when I've tried to do the right thing, terrible things have happened to me? That doesn't seem to be like what God says in his word. Uh, wisdom literature addresses those questions. Very personal, very practical. It's the questions you get when you're trying to live out the rest of the Bible. It's where the theological rubber meets the road of your, of your life. Uh, when you picture Proverbs, I find it best to kind of picture an old man who's sitting on his front porch who has seen a lot of life. He's a wise man. He is... He has experienced life, and he has observed a whole lot of life. And if you go to him with these types of questions, he's going to give you really good advice. So if you go to him and you say things like, my mom and my sister at the dinner table, like they are just screaming at one another on different positions about gun control. And, uh, and all other sorts of politics. And they're just like, I mean, they're just so intense. And so I left what do you think I should do? Should I go back there and give them my, uh, my opinion, which I think would just like put it all to rest? <laughs> and, and so you, you ask this old wise man on his front porch that, and he quotes to you something like this. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel that's not their own. You're like, oh, that's so wise. And it is. You can kind of picture it's like this is an old man who saw some kid go up to some stray dog and was just like grabbed it by the ears and he saw what happened. The kid got tore apart. And so now he's like, huh, that's kind of like when someone adds a comment on an AL.com article about some controversial, you know, news story. They get torn apart. Or it's like if you enter into some political discussion in which it didn't involve you at all, but you just want to get it, you get torn apart. And so he says these Proverbs, this wise saying here, and these things have all been collected in this book of Proverbs. Uh, sometimes the advice that is given is so practical, you kind of think, this is scripture? Like really, this is in our Bible? And so you can have Proverbs like 25, 17, which is, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. I mean, I can picture my, my, my mom saying these things about if you keep going over to their house, they're not going to like you anymore. <laughs> How about this one? Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a curse. I mean, we all know people like that, don't we? Some of you may experience them this morning, especially at the 8 o'clock service. You're a little too loud in your greeting, and it came across as a curse. What about this? Um, better uh, or a, a nagging wife is like a constant drip of water. I mean, I can't relate to that one. Uh, but like, so, some of you are like, oh, okay, yes, I know. Are you allowed to say that? Is it in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. It's where theology meets your complicated, messy life. And because life is complicated, you need to know that sometimes these Proverbs are going to be complicated. For instance, you'll find this, Proverbs 26.4. Answer not 
a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Like, okay, makes sense. Don't address a fool when they're talking to you. Very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Like, well, which is it? Am I supposed to not answer the fool or am I supposed to answer the fool? And the answer of Proverbs is it's complicated. It's like it's different situations, different circumstances. You're actually going to have to have wisdom in order to understand this wisdom and how to apply it. But we all know that life isn't so neat and so tidy and comes to you in like neat little packages where you can always apply this absolute saying for that. No, what you find here is principles that apply to different circumstances at different times. There's no other wisdom literature outside the Bible like this that understands the complexities of life. Let me give you one more example. We all know that we have a biblical mandate to help the poor. I mean, we talk about it often here at Redeemer. We, we have been commanded by God to help the poor. We know that. How? It's complicated. Anybody who's actually really worked with the poor and tried to help those who are in deep poverty know it's complicated. Proverbs speaks into that. And actually gives us many reasons as to why people are poor. It says people are poor because they're lazy. But then also says people are poor due to injustice. Then says people are poor because of a famine or a natural disaster. Or then says people are poor because they spend their money on vain pursuits. Or people are fool just because, or poor just because they make foolish decisions. So why are people poor? Well, it depends. Life is complicated. So how can you help the poor? Well, you need to understand the complications of their life in order to know how to best help. Is it a handout? Is it education? Is it giving them a job? What is it? Proverbs speaks into those complexities. All right, so let's look at Proverbs. And I want us to just look at two things, the beginning of wisdom and the path of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom and the path of wisdom. So where do we get wisdom? The first six verses, they tell you the purpose of this book. It's for you to receive wisdom, instruction, knowledge, and understanding. And then verse 7 tells you where to go to get it all. Tells you the beginning of it. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And often knowledge and wisdom throughout Proverbs will be used interchangeably. Actually, in Proverbs 9, you have the same verse, but it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the rest of this book of Proverbs is going to flow from that simple statement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or of wisdom. So let me ask you, where does your pursuit of wisdom begin? This is not a rhetorical question. Where does your pursuit of wisdom begin? Where does your understanding of current events begin? Where does your understanding of your culture or of money or of sexuality or of gender or of family or of marriage or of education or of politics, 
Where does it begin? What's the foundation for all of that knowledge? Uh, Let's look at a couple of those topics I just mentioned. Think and be honest with yourself. What has shaped you most about the way you think about sex and sexuality? Was it the 30-minute sermon that I preached three years ago on the topic? Was that the primary influence you had? Or honestly, has it probably been the things that kind of hit you every single day? Maybe it's the latest article that you read online or the two hours a day you spend on Netflix that might glorify some of the worldly positions on these things. Maybe it was the headlines of all the major papers. I know it's, it's not the pulpit because there's 30 minutes. I got 30 minutes in a week to speak to you guys. I cannot even remotely compete with the amount of input that all of us here are receiving throughout the week. So what is your beginning of wisdom? Uh, Perhaps you're one of the many in our culture. uh, The beginning of wisdom for you is the experts. You, You know, you outsource where your wisdom comes from, so you listen to the experts. Have you ever noticed how often the headlines in the papers say, Experts say, or according to the experts, or experts agree. And then you go on to read the article, and no experts are cited. My favorite was one of the ones that said, experts agree. And then I went, and there was one pseudo-expert mentioned. It's like, who's he agreeing with? Himself? Uh, I have, uh, for the last couple of months, I've been keeping a list of all the different types of experts out there because, once again, I knew I had to preach on Proverbs, and I get paid to do this. Uh, And so uh, you could call me an expert on experts, and I am just going to mention to you, name some of the experts that have been in the front page of, like, USA Today or the Washington Post or New York Times like that. Experts have been mentioned on the front page over the last two months. I've read about fashion experts Egg experts, beauty experts, body image experts, uh, unnamed experts who say that eating ice cream in the morning makes you more mentally alert. Like that one. Uh, We have public health experts, fitness experts, travel experts, climate change experts, experts who say putting your kids in timeout is essential to raising good, well-rounded children. Experts who say the opposite. Uh, We have experts, relational experts, who say you cannot explain love. Then there were scientific experts who say you can. Experts who say Will Smith's slap was an act of love. (laughs) Experts who said it was dangerous. That will be my one and only reference to the slap, okay? Never again to appear before you. (laughs) Please. Uh, We have social psychology experts, dating experts, gender experts. Uh, One of the gender experts, uh, when I read the article, it didn't mention an expert, but it did say anatomy does not determine one's gender according to experts. That was it. Um, And then, uh, but no expert was cited. Some other headlines, experts say more dialogue is needed with liberal gun owners. Experts say to drink pomegranate juice 30 minutes before working out. Experts say that no one wins in the case of Depp versus Heard. We can agree. <laughs> Who 
won the Falcons Colts trade, our experts weighed in, weigh in. And I love the sports experts. They're my favorite. You know, when a bracketologist is actually a term, you know, March Madness, let's go to our bracketologist experts <laughs> or the NFL draft experts. And I love reading them. I mean, you have Kuiper and McShay, the experts of the draft. And do you know how many draft picks they picked correctly this past time in the first round? Four out of 32 picks. These are your NFL draft experts. My wife, who I don't believe has ever watched an NFL game in her life, not even the Super Bowl, could do better than four, than 32. Are, are these vague experts whom you have never met and you know absolutely nothing about And the only thing you kind of know about them is maybe some vague title that you might not even understand. And they certainly know nothing about your actual life. Are they the beginning of your knowledge? Are they the source of your wisdom? Is it that latest article? Is it the shows you're constantly listening to or watching the music you're listening to? Listen, our... Knowledge, our understanding of our world, it's coming from somewhere. There is a source for it. Here we read the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom should be the fear of the Lord. This word fear means to respect, reverence. It's the reverence of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. But I also like that word fear uh, because I think our fear of things does indeed shape where we go for wisdom. So if you fear the backlash of your culture, if you fear your reputation taking a hit, if you fear losing a friendship, if you fear being labeled backwards or intolerant or hateful or perhaps phobic for just disagreeing with a position, if those are the things you fear, then that's the beginning of your wisdom. But those things come and go, don't they? I mean, do you really think that Netflix show that you've been watching right now, do you really think it's going to be around 100 years from now? That article you read, is it going to be... Shaping our culture a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, or 10,000 years from now? Those wise fads come and go, but the word of God stands forever. I mean, what did we just read to open up our service? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Where will those debaters of the age be a thousand years from now? They'll be blown away like the wind, 
like dry grass blown away. So who is the beginning of wisdom for you? The fear of the Lord. And notice the word here is not the generic word for God. It's not the generic name for God. It's Yahweh, the covenantal God, the God you know who's in relationship with you. Proverbs is going to be full of relationships of a parent and a child, a husband and a wife, co-workers, neighbors. But the relationship that's going to dominate them all is going to be your relationship with the Lord. He is going to be the fountainhead of wisdom for you. And he should be since he is the one who created you and the world that you live in. So he knows how you can flourish in this world. Now, in opposition to all of this, in opposition to those who fear the Lord, are the fools. Look at verse 7 again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, these fools are going to be found all throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, they're the ones who uh, reject wisdom and they choose destruction. And... You don't just find that terms, the, the fools and the wise in Proverbs. Jesus, who is deeply shaped by Proverbs, Jesus uses those terms. He ends his Sermon on the Mount with the story of the wise man and the foolish one. And notice here, verse 7 does not say that the fools are just indifferent towards wisdom. Like, eh, they're not, they're not like a, eh, believe what you want to believe. They're not indifferent. It says fools despise despise wisdom. They're not just opposed to it. They hate it. They look down on it. They revile it. Why? Because it's the wisdom of the Lord. The rejection of that wisdom is a rejection of the Lord. Their hatred of that wisdom stems from their hatred of Yahweh. They hate the Lord, therefore, they would certainly hate his wisdom. And can you not feel that animosity increasing in our culture? That animosity towards the wisdom of God. Now, thankfully, there are still many things in our culture um, in which they see wise the things that um, Christians see as wise. And it's because... To a large degree, our culture still has been shaped by Judeo-Christian values. Uh, a lot of times people don't know that actually what they're defending is a biblical position. But thankfully, the Bible has had enormous influence, and those values are still around today. And so our culture still values like the inherent dignity of every single human. It values things like, um, or it says as wrong, things like, Greed or racism or violence or spousal abuse. Now, those things we value because of the Bible. Those things we call wrong because of the Bible. Even if our culture isn't aware of it, that has been shaped by it. However, there is now an increasing hostility towards other things, wise things that we see as beautiful, but the world does not. There's a hostility towards our views of family of marriage, of sexuality, of sex, and sex only being within the confines of marriage. Hostility towards our view of life beginning in the womb. 
Fools despise these things because they despise the Lord. They're not neutral. But church, if you want to be wise, if you want to know how to navigate this world and all the complexities in it, you want to know how you can make decisions that are going to bring you a flourishing, bring you joy, then you have to go to the one who actually created your life in this world. The Lord, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right, let's look at the path of wisdom. How do we get this wisdom? Well, we have to walk a path. Uh, let's read uh, Proverbs chapter 3. I'll read the first seven or eight verses. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. All right, so throughout Proverbs, wisdom is presented as a path. Actually, life is presented as a path. And as you walk through life, be sure to choose the path of wisdom. I love that imagery. What does walking on a path look like? What's this steady, consistent, You'd even say mundane, repeated action of right, left, right, left, right, left. And you do it enough, it will take you somewhere or it will make you wise. This is probably not what you wanted to hear because, you know, uh, it's not a quick fix. It's certainly not what's going to be you're going to read in the books at the airport about how to have, you know, wisdom. Um, because they are going to present to you wisdom as like a door that you just have to unlock and open. But wisdom throughout Scripture is never presented as a door. It's a path. There's no quick fix. There's no like super secret open. There, now you're wise. It's slow, steady, rhythmic, habitual, repeated actions. Right, left, right, left. You do that enough over time, you become a wise person. What are the right, left, right, lefts of your life? Once again, not a rhetorical question. What are the things that you, you would describe as habitual in your life? What are the, what's the first thing you look at when you wake up? Is it your phone? Is it a headline? Is it social media? What are you constantly going to throughout the day? What, what's, what's your habits? The right, left, right, left of the Christian life is personal devotion, Bible reading, prayer, memorizing God's word, fellowshipping with other believers. Nothing super sexy about that, is it? 
It's not like an instant anything, but it's this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to meet with other believers. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to meet with other believers. I'm going to worship. And you do this over and over over the course of your life, and it deeply shapes you, and you become a person of wisdom. Once again, what are the right, left, right, lefts of your life? I love the imagery that's used here in, in chapter 3. It talks about like you're binding these things around your neck. You're binding the steadfast love of the Lord and the faithfulness of the Lord. They're around you at all times. What are you putting around you at all times? Is it a reminder of who you are in Christ? If not, you're going to have an identity crisis as you go out in the world because you're listening to what the world wants you to be and not who Christ says you are in him. Your habits bind those things around you. Okay, so where's Jesus in all of this? Jesus is harder to find in Proverbs than obviously places in the New Testament because once again, Proverbs is somewhat detached from that that overarching story of creation, fall, and redemption. But Jesus is absolutely here and we are going to see him in the weeks ahead because Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. We just read that in our opening scripture. He is the wisdom of God. Jesus. You want to know what wisdom looks like? You go to Jesus, who perfectly lived the book of Proverbs for us. So all of the wisdom literature ultimately leads us to him. But I want to point out one of the places that I see this most clearly. It's actually towards the end of the book, and it's not a proverb of Solomon. It's a proverb of a man named Agor, which I've never come across that name again. Uh, but Proverbs 30, there's a man named Agor. And just listen to what he says, because I think you'll identify with it. Man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Any of you ever felt like that? Like just the constant decisions you're having to make, you're just so worn out. When I go on vacation, you know what I want? The one thing I really want? To not make a decision. That's all I want. I don't want to even have to decide where to eat. It's like, can somebody else make all the other decisions for me? I just don't want to have to make a decision. Because we're making decisions all the time, and it, it can be exhausting. And you're wondering, am I doing it right? Am I not? And, and then life is so complicated. And then you take an evaluation of yourself, and you're like, I'm just worn out. That's when the authors of Proverbs here is like, I'm just weary, Lord. I'm weary. I'm worn out. I feel like I'm not doing it right. I'm stupid. I love it. He goes, I am too stupid to be a man. I don't even have the understanding of a man. I don't know, have any knowledge of you or what's going on in this entire situation. And then he says this, verse four, he goes, who has ascended to heaven and come down? In other words, he's like, if, if only, if only somebody from heaven had come down to us and shown us how to actually live. That was the author of Proverbs looking forward, hoping, 
Could somebody actually embody that wisdom and come down to me because I am so tired? And you have Jesus coming, and he says almost the same thing here. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are worn out, trying to make these decisions, trying to walk through all the complexities of life. Will you come to me? I lived your perfect life for you. You could trust me. So in the weeks ahead, I hope that is, I mean, as my heart's desires, as we look at the wisdom of Proverbs, ultimately it leads us to Christ himself, where we will find rest. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for living the perfect life for us. Thank you for the wisdom that you are and the wisdom that you give us. I pray we would lean on you. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for having so many other beginnings of wisdom. And I pray that in the moments ahead, you would bring those to mind and that we would repent of those and we would boldly declare the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And my paths now My right lefts, right lefts are going to be founded in you. Lord, would you make that so? We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.